oil field service industry, as well as many of the oil and gas companies out there, are really experiencing some talent sh shortages. Emphasizing retention over hiring is something we, uh, we suggest. Talk to those people through focus group sessions and the like, and really understand what are the drivers of employee retention or why people are leaving. Welcome to The Next Imperative, a podcast hosted by AM Energy Leaders, tackling key issues and trends in the industry. Hello, and welcome to The Next Imperative. Joining me on this episode are my colleagues from Alvarez and Marsal, Jillian Tilbury and Jeff Cass, both senior directors. Today, we're going to talk about talent management and retention within the oil field services sector. Welcome. The traditional energy industry has experienced many headwinds with employees over the last several decades, typically related to boom and bust cycles. Uh, in the last five to 10 years, it feels like more and more challenges are coming, particularly for oil field services. In your view, what are these challenges, these newer challenges, affecting oil field services able to, ability to attract and retain talent? Thanks, Jeff. I'll, I'll start, Jeff. Yeah. There's a lot of Jeffs here. <laughs> um, anyway, the um, oil field service industry, as well as many of the oil and gas companies out there, are really experiencing some talent sh shortages. Um, you know, if you really think about what's happening in the workplace, you know, 43% of the folks that are currently working in an oil field services industry or the oil and gas industry want to leave. Uh, 56 would consider moving into a renewables industry and then 85% of the kids coming out of college want to do something where there's a significant uh, ESG component to their jobs. So when you think about some of the challenges that the young professionals and some of the folks that are in industry already, they're not seeing things like, un, you know, a, a clear uh, career path. Um, you Is know, that a longevity factor too? I think, the, I'm not sure what you mean by longevity factor. Well, you say a clear career path. Do they see an entire 40 year career? No, I, I think part of that's generational and part of it is through some of the downsizing that we've experienced, we've truncated the, the uh, size of the organizations, we've eliminated layers, and so you don't necessarily see the upward mobility in terms of my career that you used to see uh, in some of the um, companies of past. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's right. The, the cyclical nature of the industry still persists. I mean, that, that's an old problem, but it's also a new problem. And it's more intense. The, the volatility and the intensity of the peaks and the valleys um, just seem to keep growing and the perception of it. Um, you know, the other thing is we just went through the pandemic. Um, and at the, at the height of that, a lot of people were, were sitting at home and rethinking their careers, re rethinking all of this where... I mean, is this, is this what I want to do? Is this what I want to spend my time on? It's all of the things, Jillian, that you talked about where, you know, do I want to work on something that's got a better ESG type of profile or do I want to do something different with my life? People had a lot of time to think about that. And some of them exited the, exited the industry, the labor pool altogether, went somewhere else and, and just flat out didn't come back. Add that on top of the demographic shift that we're always seeing and, you know, fewer and fewer workers as we move forward in time, um, especially the, the younger generation and, 
we, we've really kind of hit a point where it's at a critical, uh, a critical point in the, uh, in the life cycle. Yeah, I said, you, you said that perfectly. Now that we understand some of the drivers for talented people either leaving the industry or, or never coming into it. Jeff, how are you advising your clients to address this and, and kind of reverse that attrition? Yeah. Um, so, I, you know, for, first is you should always think of this as a business case, right? Um, people with good intentions want to fix retention. They want to hang on to people as long as possible and um, get people as engaged as possible. And that's important. Without the associated business case, it's likely to fall flat. So any business case, right, there's a cost, there's a benefit. So quantifying that as much as possible. So understanding, first of all, um, <clears throat> what's the cost of this turnover? What's, what's it impacting in terms of profitability, operational costs, any of our KPIs, um, thinking through what impact is, is a shortage or repeatedly having to train new people to do this, what impact is that having? Um, you know, from a cost perspective. Later on, you're going to use that as you start thinking through what interventions you're going to need to put in place to solve for this. And now I can compare the cost of the problem with the cost of the solution, right? So, um, so having that up front and understanding what that is, is, um, is critical. And Jillian, you, I mean, what are you thinking in terms of what some of those cost components are? Well, I think that there's the obvious ones, like what does it cost to go out and hire a new person, right? Um, those things are, seem to be very quantifiable and they get more and more expensive the longer there is uh, a vacancy in the organization. Um, and then there's some of the indirect costs that may be a little less easy to quantify, which may be the time of all the hiring managers spend in terms of hiring um, and uh, doing all of the interviews and then the onboarding processes and buying new equipment for new employees and the like. But the biggest piece of the costs, or you could say lost revenue opportunity, is in the operations itself, which may be safety performance. It may be additional sources of waste in the processes that are ongoing. Um, those are the bigger costs. In fact, we think about it it can be upwards of 20% in total of the total EBITDA that you may be experiencing uh, as a lost opportunity um, for not being able to retain your workforce. Yeah. You, I mean, you'll, you'll have the equipment, you'll have everything else you need, but without the, without the crews to run, you know, it's, it's missed revenue. It's missed EBITDA. Um, and then the safety issue as well. There's the human toll of it, but then there's the, the economic toll of it. Um, consistently see high turnover results in higher, higher safety issues. I've always thought of talent retention programs as a cost, but if I'm hearing you guys right, it's also an opportunity to enhance margins. And, and is this something you're starting to see understood throughout the, the commercial side of the business, or is it still kind of restrictive to human resources groups? Yeah, I mean, the, the operational side of the house is really starting to get it. HR has been dealing with this for years, and, and that's part of our thinking around this, is this is both an operational issue as well as a talent issue, an HR issue. But, um, yeah, the, the understanding of that, the impact that it has on KPIs, that it has on EBITDA, um, it, it's starting to, to um, really appear in people's minds on the operational side of the house. Um, you know, strong examples of it, you know, we've, we've done some of these where it'll be, 
a 4,000 person workforce, even relatively small, <clears throat> where there's a significant level of turnover, it can be 50, 60, 70, $100 million annual EBITDA improvement opportunity in a small example like that. Um, and that's recurring annually. So if you could fix that, I mean, imagine the overall cumulative effect of what you could, uh, which could impact with that. Yeah, absolutely. It could be a real differentiator. Um, you know, another point of view is a lot of times you're asking how do, how do companies think about this or how could they think about it? A lot of times companies will come at it from a hiring perspective, meaning, well, okay, I've, I've got this shortage. The easiest way to fix this is to, is to try to deal with go find new candidates, go find more candidates and, and fill the hole. You know, and, and if you don't fix the hole in the bottom of the bucket, filling the top of the bucket is not going to help you a whole lot. So um, much easier, it, it seems harder, but much easier to try to control for the retention side versus the hiring side. You, you've got to find typically three, four, five candidates to put into the pipeline to end up with one hire, right? So whether that's because you didn't find candidates you liked or the, the candidate self-select out of the hiring process during the during the, uh, the hiring phase, but one way or the other, if I could just keep what I have or keep substantially more, you're going to make improvements, um, especially from an EBITDA and a, and a KPI standpoint versus trying to solve it through through hiring. Certainly got to get the hiring piece right, got to get cycle time down, got to get high quality candidates, not suggesting that you shouldn't, but but emphasizing retention over hiring is something we, uh, we suggest. Yeah, and you combine that, I think, with the fact that in some places, in some cases, it can take a year to hire the right leader of a of maybe that's uh, one of your manufacturing facilities. It may take a year to hire the right person who's going to drive those changes. So in the meantime, that group is left, you know, struggling. And think about the amount of time um, and energy it takes just to find that leader. It's it's a big cost, yeah. but if you can keep them, find the right people and keep them, it's much easier. Concerted effort on both sides. Yeah. I mean, sometimes even on the hiring side, we'll see uh, companies that have gotten really good at the hiring effort. And the, the bad behavior that that sometimes creates is then the operational folks or others say, well, it's not a big deal. People are going to leave. I'll find another one. They'll, they'll supply me a new candidate relatively quickly. So, um, so solving for both is a, big, is a big deal. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. Um, another one that we like to think about is, is uh, employee value proposition. Okay, so or think of it as the employee deal. Um, lately, when we hear those terms, we think of something that's branded on the website. It's what collateral is out there that, that might look attractive on a website when we're, when we're trying to attract new candidates. But really, employee value proposition are all of the factors that it takes to retain and hire and then engage, right? So it's um, the lenses that we suggest people think through. First of all, what's important? to my employees, right? To the people I'm trying to either hire or retain, what's most important to them? Um, second, can we deliver on it? So if I come out and I tell you that the things we're gonna do really well are X, Y, Z, and then I fall flat on delivering that to you as an employee and you don't get it, it's not gonna work. Third, if it's a differentiator, something that's different than my competitor in the labor market, that really is what's going to help. And in the absence of that differentiated, important, and well-delivered employee value proposition or employee deal, you typically have to pay your way out of that problem. And that's where the cost, the fixed costs really start to accelerate. Um, you know, and, and you can impact that to an extent if you've got a solid employee value proposition. Yeah, I think what people are really looking for is how do I connect well with the company that I'm working at, right? 
Uh, is this a place I really want to work for? Do I resonate well? Is the culture what I really want to be? Do I value my supervisor? Do I like the people I work with? Am I challenged every day? And am I recognized and rewarded for what I do? Those are the things that are really important and I think that drive employee behaviors in terms of where they want to stay and where they want to work. Agree, agree. Um, you know, we were talking about the balance of the operational factors and the talent factors or the more traditional HR side of this problem versus the, the lesser thought of operational side of the problem. Um, so think about this for a minute. I mean, yes, the HR factors are important, definitely half the problem, right? And so by HR talent factors, we're thinking about things like pay benefits, um, relationship with supervisor, career pathing, training, all, all of that, all highly critical. Um, the other side of it, the operational side of it that maybe people think less about are going to be things, um, especially for more of the industrial workforce, safety performance. People want to work for a safe company in a, in a re reasonable um, safety environment. Um, availability, uptime of tools and equipment. I mean, all this supply chain thing that we've all experienced either as consumers or as leaders of businesses it really impacts the employee experience as well. If I don't have access to the equipment on a regular basis that's functioning properly, that I can do my job in the way that I, that I need to, it really, it really uh, hurts that overall employee experience. And that's a handheld, it could be a computer, it could be a wrench, right? Yeah. It could be one of, any one of those types of things. That's exactly right. Exactly. And then the other thing too to think about as well is is the way or the work processes that I'm being asked to follow, do they make sense or are they just creating all sorts of waste and are difficult to manage and difficult to manipulate? That's right. That creates part of the culture and part of the environment that an employee works with as to whether or not they really want to be there. I, I agree. Um, you know, r related to both of these things, employee value proposition and, and thinking about those factors, um, critical to think about um, this from a bottoms up standpoint, not a, a way that companies often try to deal with retention or engagement or any of these things is let's take a broad survey of 100 different items. We're going to see what items scored lowest commonly across all populations. And we're going to try to go deal with it. They'll set up task forces or something like that to try to improve, you know, what that is. Or they end up with a high employee satisfaction rate in their mind, like an 80% employee satisfaction rate, and they yeah. go, we don't have a problem. That's true. That's true. Um, thinking about, though, if, um, you know, the technical term for it is critical workforce segmentation. Think about the segments of your workforce that are most critical to operations. If, if this segment is not highly engaged, highly retained, the, the business really starts to, to break down. Or, um, you know, those that are hardest to keep and find. Right. And that could be by virtue of a supply demand of, of labor issue in a particular geography. It could be an overall lack of skills in the marketplace. Um, but identifying what those critical workforce segments are and then tailoring what this is to each of those. And, and it sounds like a lot of work. It sounds like, wow, this, this sounds unscalable or um, not very scalable to deal with this issue. And, and really, it's not. If you can if you can efficiently try to go assess what is important to those employees, how well am I delivering on it, and ideally find something that's, that's differentiated by each one of those critical workforce segments, you typically move the overall needle on employee retention in a much bigger way than if I just tried to, to take a broad-based approach. 
Yeah. And the way to go after that is to talk to those people through focus group sessions um, and the like and really understand what is what are the drivers of employee retention or why people are leaving the, the, the organization. And through that, you can identify what are the, some of the root causes to what you might be getting in terms of uh, the survey results, if you do do a survey, and then can really identify customized solutions that meet their needs, to your point. Um, and then when you sit back and you look at it all, you probably find some commonalities that you can scale across the whole organization, which is impactful to the entire workforce That's right. um, as well. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, we, we would see, for example, equipment operators in a particular basin recently in the Permian, it, it's, it's been hot for, for a while. Um, what they needed, even the same job in that basin, perhaps compared to another basin, you would think that would be exactly the same thing. And what we would find through these types of efforts is it's not. Um, pri the prioritization of called the top five things that you got to get right for each of those populations may be may be quite different. Um, you know, we'll also see companies say, "Look, I'm, I'm if there's five things that I've got to fix to to get retention right for this particular workforce segment, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and put the money in and the investment, and the time in on maybe one or two of them, and that'll get me forty percent of the benefit." Um, doesn't work that way. You've got to really solve for those four or five most critical factors, and you got to attack them all. It's the overall employee experience that's important to them, getting each piece of that right. Again, it sounds cumbersome, sounds difficult to do, to implement costly, and, and typically it's not. Typically it's identifying what those right ones are and, and simultaneously getting after all five or four or five of those most critical factors. I think, too, one of the things that gets overlooked when you're looking at that is if you really think about most employees value most their supervisor relationship. And we don't often do a good job of helping the supervisors implement the changes that you're asking them to implement. How do we support them so that they can make sure that they are supporting the workforce and their employees? I, I agree. I mean, um, you know, the other thing, I don't know what your, what your thoughts are on this, but um, <clears throat> the difference between what call it the white collar workforce is after versus what the blue collar workforce is after. Um, some of the time, sometimes there, there are things that are very different for each of those. Um, safety performance, the work environment, those things become really important to the blue collar side. Um, you'll see a higher emphasis on ESG purpose, all that on the, on the white collar side. Um, you know, but like you said, I mean, this is what sparked what you just mentioned. The commonality across both is can't get relationship with supervisor wrong and can't be severely under under pay uh under market on pay um don't, don't have to be at the top of the market don't have to have the best supervisor in the world but if you're underperforming on those two the money you spend on anything else in the full suite of the employee value proposition can be wasted because you, you, you those two hurdles are the first two things people think about you're right on i agree 100 percent what are the key pieces of advice that you'd want to make sure a listening CHRO or COO would take away from this conversation? I think first and foremost, we all need to come to the realization that it's not a just an HR issue. It's an operational issue and should be jointly owned by the COO and CHRO. First and foremost. Issue and opportunity. Issue and opportunity, agreed. So many of the drivers that are forcing uh, attrition. Many of the drivers that are attributable to employee attrition 
are operational related issues, not just your HR policies and practices and compensation. And so the COO has got to take into effect all of those operational issues and institute the right changes that are necessary in order to overcome that. Yeah, I, I agree. I, the, and in fact, you know, the, the last two or three times companies have approached us, it's been from either the COO or, or even the head of transformation in some cases. It is um, companies are calling this one of their, their big bets, you know, on how they're going to probably going to, uh, in a transformational way, improve the business. So it's not emanating out of HR. Now, definitely need HR as a, um, as a co-lead of this thing, as a co-sponsor of it. Um, but we're seeing more and more the COO or the transformation side of the house drive the, um, drive the request in the first place. I'd, I'd like to see COOs have as part of their compensation or their annual goals one or more goals that are related to retention. And I think that will drive a lot of behaviors in the operations. Let's say on Oilfield Services, CHRO or COO is, is listening to this podcast and calls you tomorrow for some help. How do you describe the initial approach? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the approach, you, you um, ideally differentiate it from a traditional, let's survey everybody and, and create some task forces around, around improving it or just leave it to the, the local managers to fix it. Um, what we would say is, is first, back to the business case, quantify the opportunity, um, get a solid understanding for my critical workforce segments of uh, where am I seeing impact on KPIs, on uh, profitability, on any of the other important metrics that we track operationally. As well as where's the turnover. That's right. And then where's the turnover highest? Where is it most costly? So I know where I can move the needle the most. Think of it as a Pareto chart where, you know, let, let me deal with the 20% of the organization that's causing 80% of the problem from a profitability turnover and, and KPI standpoint. So, so do that first, understand where we need to go. Um, a, a voice of the customer piece. So, so yes, this may emanate from the COO, but the person who's in charge of making decisions on where to improve and how to improve sometimes is a layer two below that. And I've got to make the case to that level as well as the C-suite. I've got to um, tailor the argument to that, to that space. So understanding, do they see this as a problem? And where do they see it as a problem? Do they believe that they can impact it? Some, you, you'll talk to some of these folks and they'll say, you know what, it's a cost of doing business. It's just a reality. Turnover is what it is. Um, and if I, can't, if I can't influence or compel that group to fix it, it's gonna fall flat. So get, get their voice, understand what needs to go in the business case to, to, uh, to influence that, that set of stakeholders. They're the ones who are gonna have to lead it anyway. That's exactly right. Uh, if they're not engaged and on board, right. They'll, they'll listen and they'll play along, but then it won't, it won't happen. Um, you know, any analytics you can do a lot of these days, a lot of times companies will have some decent in-house data around some of this stuff. So what's the impact of supervisor um, span of control, supervisor quality? What's the impact of pay, uptake on benefits? What's that doing historically in my own company uh, on whether or not people stay? Um, so that's, a, that's one to, to try. Certainly do a survey, but keep it brief. Also measure what's important, not just how well we're doing, okay? So critical factors that, that go in there. And then um, 
immediately following up on that, doing focus groups, whether they're virtual or, or in person, some form of focus groups um, to get the nuance that you're not going to get out of a survey. I don't, you, you've got some good experience seeing this with focus groups as well, how yeah, important I, that is. What do you actually find out is the, the reason people are leaving is, as we've said before, it's not around a pay issue or I don't like my benefits or... I'm working too hard and from an overtime perspective, if you're in the field, it's around work process. It's around not having the right tools. It's around not having the right uh, technologies to enable my job. Yeah. And, and you may not have asked that in a survey, may not have come out, but, but in, exactly like that, <clears throat> I recall focus groups where we would, for example, have someone say, look, there's this balance between the tension on the operational metric side. And so I, I as, a, as somebody out in the field, have my uh, efficiency metrics and all, all of my uh, you know, targets that I got to meet each day. Plus, I've got to meet my safety metrics. And there's this tension between the two. And people were getting really frustrated because they had very tough goals to meet each day, plus very tough safety standards to meet, and they'd fall out. Um, wouldn't have surfaced that in a survey, wouldn't have surfaced that in a traditional format had you not done a focus group and gotten to that level of nuance. So we, we think the, the focus group piece, again, either virtually or in person is really important. And the people who are participating in those focus groups often have really good ideas on how to solve it. That's true. That's absolutely right. That's right. Um, you know, and then lastly, now you get to pull all this together all these sources, you, you know what business case you've got to create, you know um, what audiences need to hear it and what needs to go in it to, to influence those audiences. Um, you've got your baseline on, on the cost of the problem. You start to then build out, well, what's the cost of the solutions? Um, what's it going to cost to fix this problem? In some cases, we'll come to it and say, you know what, it looks like you've optimized it already. It may be too costly in certain segments to do something. Almost always, though, we can find some solutions where it's more beneficial to, to address the problem. But coming up with bespoke, customized solutions by these critical workforce uh, segments, prioritizing those out, getting the four or five things right, coming up with an action plan to fix it, and, and as quickly as possible implementing those um, in, in a customized way um, is, is really important. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. Jeff, Jillian, I've really enjoyed this conversation. Learned a lot. I think our audience will too. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks. thanks. Yeah, thanks for having us. And to our audience, thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed this episode as much as we did. And we look forward to seeing you on another episode soon. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to The Next Imperative so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.